Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Deuteronomy in the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 27 and continuing through verse 31. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress, and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey Him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors which He confirmed to them by oath. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from... Paul's first letter to his friend and co-laborer, Timothy, in the first verse, the first chapter, beginning at verse 12 and continuing through verse 17. And again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. I am grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I received mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. The author of this little letter, the Apostle Paul, is certainly the best known of the early church evangelists. Unlike Peter and the other disciples, Paul had been drawn to the way of Jesus without having known him during his earthly ministry. Through his surviving writings, we know a fair bit about him, and in this morning's New Testament reading, we are reminded of a couple of those things that we have learned about Paul. First of all, we learn that though it's easy to think of him as kind of a super apostle, a lone ranger who traveled far and wide, spreading the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Well, even the lone ranger had Tonto. And 
Though Timothy was not his constant companion, and Paul had others, Timothy was a partner in ministry whom Paul was mentoring. He was wise enough to know that the cause of Christ was going to need evangelists, and there were going to be future generations after Paul, and so he cultivated relationships like this one with Timothy, to ensure that the zeal for the good news of the gospel would continue after Paul's time here on earth was accomplished. Secondly, this passage from his first letter to Timothy reminds us that Paul had lived two very distinct lives. When he confesses, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, he is referring to his first life, his his past life as Saul of Tarsus. From a biological perspective, this is still the very same life. But from a theological, a, a spiritual, and I would argue a more important perspective, these were traits associated with this former life. Now, though, things are different for Paul, and they became different. When he met Jesus. That's what makes these verses in 1 Timothy so powerful. They remind us of what a difference knowing Jesus can make in a person. Paul, it has to be admitted, had an exceptional introduction to Jesus. He was snatched mid-journey from his friends and his donkey and dropped like a sack of potatoes. And when he was brought into a nearby town, he was still punch drunk and blind from this sudden encounter with the risen and glorified Messiah. He would describe his time in the presence of the Lord with few words, which stretched even then at the bounds of human speech. It was impossible, after all, to fully describe what he had experienced there on the road to Damascus and wherever else he had been taken in the presence of Jesus. But what we certainly do know is that it was extraordinary and it was life-changing. Life-changing is also the way others who have had a conversion experience often describe their own awakening to the reality of the resurrected Lord Jesus. There are all manner of paths to such an epiphany. Some, like Paul's, are very dramatic, and others are, by comparison, quite relatively tame. The journey may be unique, but the destination is not. I had a colleague in seminary who had been a successful musician in Hawaii for a couple of decades. And he told a story about a case of island insomnia that gripped him one evening. He couldn't sleep that night. He found himself mindlessly flipping through the TV channels in the vast cable wasteland of the day when he happened on a televangelist whose message that moment was speaking directly to my friend's situation. So he stopped and he listened to what this man had to say on the screen, and he soon found himself on his knees in his living room, 
praying for forgiveness and salvation. Now, I have to say that our dean and professor of theology expressed some skepticism and wariness about such an occurrence. But for Ron, this was his path to a new life. And then there were Charles Wesley and John Wesley, the the founders of Methodism, who had been evangelists and preachers for years before coming to know the one they had been proclaiming all that time. An article in Christianity Today said of them, until their conversions, the Wesleys had what John described as a fair summer religion. They were both ordained, they both preached, taught, wrote, composed hymns, and even gave themselves to missionary work, all to no avail. And then, on one Pentecost Sunday, it's been said of Charles that he experienced his own personal Pentecost. He wrote in his journal that the Spirit of God had chased away the darkness of my unbelief. And three days later, at a Wednesday night Bible study with a gathering of Moravians, John, in a different fashion, was also reborn spiritually. He famously wrote, In the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans about a a quarter before nine while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Finally, I offer for you the story of C.S. Lewis. As a young man, he had gone from a very nominal Christian to an active atheist to an academic agnostic to a theist and a deist. And when he found himself unable to deny the existence of God, he wrote, I gave in and admitted God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps, he wrote, that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. About three years went by before the final move of his conversion took place. Lewis had gone for a walk and a talk with his friend and his colleague, J.R.R. Tolkien, who told him that the story of Christ is a myth, like all other myths, but one with a tremendous difference. It really happened. And Tolkien went on to say of Jesus, either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he is a liar or a lunatic or a fraud. And with these words echoing in his head, three days later, Lewis went with his brother to the zoo. And something remarkable happened as he sat in the motorcycle sidecar, whizzing through the countryside northwest of London, as he would famously confess, when we set out, I did not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and when we reached the zoo, I did. Well, there you have it. That's settled. I share these stories with you to illustrate some of the many ways people have journeyed from a life before knowing Christ 
to a new life after. The common thread to these accounts, as well as those of myself and y'all and everyone else who has been converted, and even those who are awaiting conversion, as if we are all beneficiaries of a second chance by that great God of second chances. Throughout human history, this God has revealed to us this essential part of his nature. I happen to think that it is perhaps the foremost of God's endearing qualities. The people of God have, after all, demonstrated repeatedly their need for a God of second chances. Covenants have been made with them by this God, and they've been broken by man. And they've been renewed by this God. The people have been redeemed from slavery to rival nations and foreign gods, only to fall back under the sway of other rival nations and other foreign gods, only to be liberated once again. The God of second chances set us all free once and for all by sending his begotten, the Messiah, to be our means of salvation. He was despised and rejected by many, but God suspended his judgment for thousands of years now, leaving the door open to his creatures to take hold of this lifeline, this second chance. Throughout history, we have certainly shown that we haven't earned it and we don't deserve any of this mercy, but it is on offer to us anyhow, testimony to the grace and love of this God, the very same God who raised his beloved son Jesus to life again, overcoming the power of the grave forever, providing for us the gift of a future after and beyond death itself, the ultimate in second chances. For those of us who have accepted it by whatever dramatic or undramatic, intentional or purely providential path we've traveled, we are now living in the reality of a second chance, a new life. How we differentiate it from that which came before is in part a reflection of our acknowledgement of this reality and our gratitude for it and part of what Paul is imparting to Timothy. And that's what I want to focus on to conclude this morning's sermon. Just as it was with the apostle, I believe that all who have come to know and acknowledge the lordship of Jesus have been made an example to and for those who would also come to believe in him for eternal life. Just think for a moment on all the times, the places, and the ways that God has given you a second chance in this life. I often joke with some people who ask me what it's like to be a second career pastor by saying, I'm really not sure what it's like to be a second career pastor. I'm more like a fourth or a fifth career pastor. I have had many, many second chances to bring my will more in line with that of God's. As we all have, second chances in our professional lives, second chances in our personal lives, 
Second chances in our relationship with the Lord and with others. There are no mistakes. There are no missteps. There are no missed opportunities so great that they go beyond the reach and the mercy of this God of second chances. This is both our experience and our testimony if we will share it. As followers of a God of second chances, we're called to live as people of second chances, extending mercy and forgiveness to ourselves and to each other, just as our God has done and continues to do for us. We are to be such examples, such witnesses, that others might see it and scratch their heads in wonder. We're told in the Gospel according to Luke that from the cross, Jesus asked the Father's forgiveness on his killers. Later, a young Saul saw and wondered about this sacrificial forgiveness when he watched the public execution of Stephen, a very early believer in the risen Christ. As Stephen was being stoned for blasphemy by the Jewish crowd, he too asked God to have forgiveness on those who were killing him. And years later, now known as Paul, the apostle would show a strand of this same mercy to his persecutors, to his captors, to his jailers, and the effects on at least some of them was profound. Though hopefully not as dramatic as all that, Believers are invited to express their appreciation to God for all the second chances they've been gifted by imitating the love shown by this God of second chances. So whether your own conversion is fresh or whether you've known Jesus as Lord for most of your years, however many they may be, whether you came to that knowledge purposefully or Reluctantly, whether it happened in a flash or over a long time, you've come to know that we are beneficiaries of the greatest of all second chances. So may we then, my brothers and sisters in Christ, live this new life we've been gifted with a spirit of visible gratitude that will bring even more people to say, Thanks be to God and amen.